0: Yes, I wrote this book, Do Morals Matter?, because the conventional wisdom about international relations is that it's only national interests that matters. And uh, morals are just like icing that uh, politicians pour on a decision to make it look pretty, but that it's national interests that bake the cake. In fact, I once uh, asked a French diplomat uh, I had been negotiating with the about nuclear weapons, if he ever worried about the moral implications. And he said, the only thing that matters are the interests of France. I don't think he realized what a profound moral judgment he had just made. So I wanted to see if that cynical view, which is very common, was correct historically. So I looked at all the 14 presidents since 1945 and asked, did their moral views make a difference to the way history turned out? And I discovered, yes, if you took the cynical view, you were going to get history wrong. Doesn't mean that they were always right. Often they weren't. But in many cases, the moral view of the president made a big difference historically.
1: Give us some examples.
0: Well, probably the most dramatic example is Harry Truman, who, of course, has been very often criticized for dropping the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, what people don't realize is that there was a third bomb uh, which was being stored on Tinian Island. And when Truman saw the devastation on, uh, from the first two bombs, he said uh, to the military, No, I'm not going to kill that many more women and children. And uh, then five years later, in the Korean War, when he was basically stalemated and losing the Korean War, and it looked like that would be disastrous for his presidency. Uh, Truman said um, uh, to MacArthur, General MacArthur, uh, who wanted to drop 20 atomic bombs on Chinese uh, cities, no, I'm not going to kill that many more women and children. So that basically gave rise to the so-called nuclear taboo, that nuclear weapons would be used for deterrence, but not as normal war-fighting weapons. And that, of course, has been profoundly significant to the way the world looks today. So there's a case of moral decisions which made a very big difference.
1: Soft power. Uh, You are associated with the concept, you know, to reviving the concept, because because throughout history, uh, politicians have used uh, soft power. Nations have used or monarchies have used, you know, we can trace back. Millennia backwards, how they used soft power. But you have sort of revived the concept or brought it to bear to modern international relations theory. How did the concept became so important in your scholarship? was that something you you've set out to to develop or was something that sort of Came along as your research as you worked for for you worked for the department of defense as well How did the concept develop well in 1989?
0: I was writing a book About the question of whether the united states was in decline, which was a popular view at that time and so I looked at american military power and Then I looked at American economic power, and then I said, but there's still something missing, which is the ability to attract others. And that's how I developed the concept of soft power. So I developed hard power, which is the ability to get what you want through coercion or payment, and soft power, which is the ability to get what you want through attraction. And uh, I think what we realize is that all of us use soft power all the time. We don't go around uh, beating each other over the head or paying each other to do things. And that's true for individuals, but it's also true for nations.
1: During uh, the Brazilian military dictatorship, the U.S. was perceived as a perpetrator of violation of international human rights law during that period from 64 to 85. At the same time America's soft power was also quite strong so many people looked at America as a wonderful place to be, as where greater uh, movements, the, even the social, the civil mov- movements, right, were being broadcast simultaneously, right? So again you, you say uh, in your papers and your books as well uh, how important it is to combine, right, some times when America wants to do something they will go by force but then at the same time perhaps the most valuable asset uh, any nation can have and America in particular is its soft power because it has sustained itself. Like people even forget the mishaps, the mistakes of a foreign policy in certain periods of American history, because they have been at the same time offered this um, beautiful culture, right? The, the wonderful uh, movie industry, the music industry. America has made very clear that it also produces and supports co- its culture.
0: Well, I think that many people don't um, remember that uh, a country's soft power, its attractiveness is generated not just by the government, but by its civil society. And uh, the great example of this was um, during the Vietnam War, where the government policies were uh, widely detested and people were marching in the streets around the world against the American war in Vietnam. Uh, But at the same time, they weren't singing the Communist International. they were singing Martin Luther King's We Shall Overcome. In other words, an anthem from civil society uh, was the launching point for these or symbolic point. And it indicates that America had soft power that came from basically a protest movement on civil rights, even when uh, its government was doing dumb things that we're uh, destroying soft power. And that's true today as well. I mean, the government may often do things which are not uh, very attractive, but um, very often it's counterbalanced by civil society. And that's one of the problems that China has, which is that it's said that it wants to do a lot to increase its soft power, but it wants tight party control on civil society so that when they get a, a a creative genius like an Ai Weiwei, uh, instead of using him to attract people to China, uh, they put him in jail or in exile. So it's important when people think about soft power, not to make the mistake of thinking that it's simply the product of government policies. Partly it is, but not entirely.
1: Now to wrap it up, I would like to talk a little bit about we had last week the uh, Biden Putin meeting here in Geneva. So, what is your takeaway after a week? We discussed a bit before, but what is your takeaway after all the commentaries came? Was it successful? Was it not? Um, America's soft Biden power.
0: had done a lot to restore American soft power. For example, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, re basically restoring America's position of the World Health Organization Organizing the G7 to donate a billion do- doses of vaccine to poor countries through COVAX uh, These have done a lot to help American soft power But the summit with Putin was really more about hard power um, I mean, and I think it was successful Putin and Biden had sat down for a, uh, a hard talk about things that uh, were damaging each country to the other. And I hope that they tried to work out some rules of the road, uh, particularly on cyber issues, where uh, the Russians in the past had not often admitted that they had a cyber offense. And if those rules of the road work out, it will not be because of soft power, it will be because of hard power, be of uh, deterrent threats, and so forth. Uh, But good business-like bargaining on hard power is crucial. So uh, I've sometimes said that it's the ability to combine hard and soft power into smart power that is the secret of success in foreign policy. But on the outcome of the Geneva Summit, so far so good, but we'll have to wait and see before we can really give a, a proper answer.
1: Thank you very much, Professor Joseph Nye. Pleasure speaking with you, sir.